No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Find the Savior. Find Yeshua HaMashiach. Find the truth on Solace Radio. I, I read through the book of Revelation yes, last night at midnight just because I wanted to see if somebody tried to read through that and try to understand it. It's, it's not possible. <laughs> no way. You've got to have an, an outline, an understanding of Scripture in general. You've got to know what's going on. You've got to read it in context. You've got to do a chapter at a time. Otherwise, you're going to get very, 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 very confused and very, very frustrated. For example, let me give you a couple examples. Um, I don't know, but most people, they were raised that 666, the number 666, and the mark of the beast was one and the same. They have nothing to do with each other. <laughs> we just, I guess, heard that, and we've just been running with it. The seven heads and the ten horns, it's, it's the Antichrist. Who is the Antichrist? Now they're saying it's Trump. Before it was Barack Obama. You know what? In 1940, it was Adolf Hitler. We will know who the Antichrist is when he sets up at the midpoint of the tribulation, the abomination that causes desolation, and he announces who he is. Okay? What do I tell you all the time? It does not matter who he is. What matters is when Yeshua comes back, will he find faith on the earth? Just maintain your faith. Just maintain your faith. None of that really matters. And if there's some things that we don't know about, even John, when he saw certain things, he said, don't write this down. There's things that if God wanted you to know, you would know. But the overall picture, guys, is it's God's wrath. The book of Revelation is God's wrath. Will believers be here? Will they not be here? Look, the greatest theologians, some are amillennialists, some are premillennialists, some are postmillennialists. They can't agree because no one really knows. But prepare. Prepare to meet the Lord today. Prepare to meet the Lord today. Because it just might happen. It's, the seven years of tribulation is God's wrath before he takes the throne. He's going to judge all those. God's wrath is upon all of us because he's holy and perfect. He snatched us out of the fire by his grace. Now, because we are covered with the blood of Messiah, it's on the lintel and doorpost of our heart, we won't be subject to God's wrath. But make no mistake, you're not better than the guy who is subject to God's wrath. You didn't do anything to not subject yourself to God's wrath. You're not better, you're better off. And thank God every day for it. Thank God every day for it. No matter how many good works I, I've done, and I've done my fair share, I'm telling you, I won't dare bring them up when me and Yeshua sit down. Because if I bring those up, then he might bring some stuff up that I don't want him to bring up. You follow what I'm saying? I don't, I don't want to go there. And that's what we're going to talk about today, the book of life. That's what we're talking about. So, let me repeat a simple key, a simple key to understanding the book of Revelation is to realize it that it's divided into three main parts. This is, this is key. This is important. Chapter 1 describes a vision in which John, the disciple, saw Messiah robed as a judge. This is very important. Standing in the midst of seven congregations in Asia Minor. Asia Minor is the landmass between Asia and Europe. It's basically Turkey, modern-day Turkey. It was called Anatolia in the Greek. And there were seven congregations there. Make no mistake. Were there more than seven congregations? Yours truly does not know that. But let's say there were, okay? We have no information on the other one, so what, what are you going to do with that? It's silly. These are seven congregations that Yeshua wrote letters to, royal edict letters. And what he was saying is he was giving them a commendation, and then he was giving them a rebuke, and then he was giving them a solution. That's basically what was happening there. 
So chapter 1 describes a vision in which John saw Messiah robed as a judge standing in the midst of the seven churches. Chapters 2 and 3 is the Messiah's edict led us to his seven congregations, which have something to do with the age we live in now. The remaining 19 chapters have to do with future events. Chapters 4 and on is future, something that's going to take place in the future. But chapters 4 through basically the beginning of 19, so for all intents and purposes, 4 to 18, describe the tribulation period. They describe seven, seven seals that Messiah can break because he is the Lamb of God. They describe seven trumpets, and they describe seven bowls. The bowls come rapid fire. They come at the end of tribulation. They come rapid fire. Boom, 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 boom. On the seventh seal, when the seventh seal is broken, that starts the first trumpet. The seventh trumpet is blasted. That starts the first bowl. Is the trumpet, one of the trumpets, the same trumpet blast when Messiah comes? No. There's nothing to do with the trumpet blast in Isaiah or in Matthew. It's a separate trumpet. No. Nothing at all. But if you read it, you'll see that it has nothing to do with it. Chapters 20 through 22 deal with Messiah's second coming. Very, very easy to understand. Very, very easy. Chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, the vision of God's throne, 5, the lamb who's going to break the seals. Easy. No-brainers. So you've got chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 that are so easy to understand. You've got chapters 19, 20, 21, 22 that are so easy to understand. Nine chapters that are so easy to understand out of 22. The others is the tribulation, and it breaks it down. The only thing that gets a little hairy is chapters 12 and 13 were introduced to certain people, like the woman and the stars, and, and that's because it's not in chronological order. So if you try to read it in chronological order, you're going to get thrown off. Okay. I said chapters 20 22 deal with the Messiah's second coming, his kingdom on earth, the judgment of the great white throne after the millennium where he judges the non-believers, sadly enough, and the eternal state. I would like to, with the first verse, fast forward to the good news, chapters 20, okay? Let's look at verse 12 in Revelation chapter 20. It reads, As I saw the dead, both great and small, standing in front of the throne, that's God's throne, his great white throne, books were open, and another book was opened, the book of life. That's the other book. And the dead were judged from what was written in the books, they weren't judged from what was written in the book because the book is the book of life and they're not in the book of life. Follow so far? We're all right? Just stop me if we're not because I'll, I'll, I have no problem with it. None, none at all. I think a lot of people make mistakes. There's a lot of lousy teachers out there, not just of the word in school. They, they're lousy and they teach. And if a student gets confused or the group gets confused, they get stuck. When you get confused, when somebody's teaching, right, the way the brain works is the brain freezes. At that point, the teacher's moving on and you're lost. Then you kind of figure it out, but then you got to play catch up and you can't. And you're lost. And you leave and you feel confused and stupid, right? Because you don't want to raise your hand and go, excuse me, I don't understand that because you don't want to look stupid, but the whole class didn't understand it. And the teacher's just rambling. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You all know what I'm talking about because it happens. So, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. So this, this lets us know that the book is the book of life, the Lamb's book of life. By the way, that's synonymous. You'll see the Lamb's book of life or the book of life. It's synonymous. And then there's these books. There's, there's books with what we've done. Okay? Now, obviously this verse speaks about the great white throne judgment, what we've read about. For all those who have rejected, hear me, rejected, they weren't rejected, they rejected 
God's merciful offer of salvation through the sacrificial bloody death of Messiah Yeshua. Now, if you're watching and you're wondering, did God reject you? God never rejected you. Never. Well, my mom died when I was young. Yes, a lot of people's moms died when they were young. And a lot of people have sad stories. But that's because of sin in the world. That was not God's MO for us. That was not God's plan. We messed it up. The baby that's born addicted to crack is not because God addicted the baby to crack. Mom did crack while the baby was in the womb. It's not on God. But you can change your life. Or or you could be the believer that tells you how bad they had it when they were young every time you're with them. Or how rough it is for them because they're going through such terrible, terrible, terrible times. You could be that person that nobody wants to be around, or you can realize we've all, I mean, when I was very young, things seemed to come easy, even though we were in the projects, school and life and my jobs, and things seemed to just come my way. And I thought that was everybody. And then when things, when I came to the Lord and things were not going my way at all, I thought I was the only one. It was out of ignorance. And my wife would tell me, everybody's got stories. And a lot of them are a lot worse than yours. I learned that the hard way. There were two sets of books that were open. There were books and a book. We are clearly told that the book is the book of life. It's, it's, it's irrefutable. It contains the names of all who have been redeemed by the precious blood of Messiah, so they will not come up for judgment. Okay, That's why it's so important. Are you inscribed? On Yom Kippur, they say, let your name be inscribed. I mean, how? Let your name be inscribed. I hope it's inscribed. I mean, is it? How do I know? But what are the books? Now, it kind of tells us, says the books, according to what they have done, but I don't know. It's a little sketchy. And when, I, when I've asked people in passing, what are those books? They're like, I don't know. I was like, wow, it seems like we, we might want to know. <laughs> it, it might be important. Remember what I told you last week, that the book of Revelation can best be understood by knowing the entire Bible. In other words, the characters, the events, numbers, colors, and so forth are nearly all, I say nearly all, previously encountered in the Word of God. It showed up elsewhere. But of course, look, you know, people think I know the Word of God so well. I don't, I don't know how well I know it. I don't know, but I read it a lot. You know, you got, a, you got a good shot at knowing it if you read it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there's some beautiful Christians that are very saved, but they never read the Word of God. I, I, I don't get it. What, what else is there to read? If you want to know God, you've got to know his word. It's his autobiography. If I want to know about somebody, I definitely would read their autobiography. So the, the books here are mentioned elsewhere, and I'll show you one example. In Daniel, again, I told you Daniel will give us the time, but in Daniel chapter 7, 9 through 10, this is what it says. As I watched, thrones were set in place, and the ancient one took his seat. His clothing, talking about the ancient one, was white as snow, The hair on his head was like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames with wheels of burning fire. Pay attention. A stream of fire flowed from his presence. Thousands and thousands ministered to him. Millions and millions stood before him. Is that different category of people? We'll find out. Then the count was convened and the books were open. There it is. Same word, same books. So we've encountered it someplace else. And this is how we detect. This is how we understand what something is. We look for corroborating evidence. If we have corroborating evidence in the court of law, 
It's good stuff. So what's happening in chapter 7, just to let you know, Daniel has had a dream of four beasts. You're probably familiar with these four beasts. And each beast represents a world empire. Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. Here in verse 9, Daniel pictures a fifth kingdom, something futuristic. It's the fifth, but it's also the final world empire. And it's the glorious kingdom and reign of Yeshua where he will be given universal dominion. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, the ancient one is God himself sitting on a central throne. His clothing were white as snow. That represents uncompromising and radiant purity. Anytime you see that, although your sins be like scarlet, anytime you see that. Now, you might see something in one verse and decide to make a theology of it. No, no good. Very bad. Shame on you to do that and teach that. You have to thread the needle, man, and you have to see it used elsewhere and elsewhere and elsewhere. And once you have corroborating evidence, then I'll listen to your symbolism. But until then, you know what you're doing? You know what you're doing? You're dreaming, man. I've met so many people. They're dreamers. They make stuff up, and they think it's from God. Oh, I heard from God. Did you? How about show me Scripture? Scripture? I heard from God. Okay. Okie dokie. Well, whenever you see white as, whenever you see white as snow... It represents uncompromising and radiant purity. His hair was like pure wool. That represents wisdom that comes with great age. White hair. His chariot throne was fiery flames and wheels of burning fire. We see that in Ezekiel. It depicts the divine warrior's fearsome power to destroy his enemies. His enemies don't stand a chance. A stream of fire flowed out before him, and he was surrounded by thousands of thousands that's ministered to him. That's the angelic host. The angels were created to minister to him, to minister onto him about his radiance, his glory, his splendor, his magnificence. Those are angels. Now, who are the millions and millions? That represents not one kingdom, but all the kingdoms of the earth. When the final world empire will be established, every knee will bow. The books were opened representing God's record and deeds of those on the earth. Now, It means that every single solitary human being that ever lived, from Adam to anybody that was just born right now, has a book. And and on the spine of the book is their name, Greg Hirschberg. And inside that book is everything that I've ever done, good and bad. I don't want that seal to be broken. I don't know about you. You might think your book is better than mine, and it might be. But if God gets into thoughts, if he gets into things that you were supposed to do that you didn't, how many times you saw somebody on the side of the road that you kept driving by, if, if he records those things, and I'm thinking God keeps good records, I don't want that seal being broken. Now, I'm sure Satan wants the, bro- the seal to be broken, but if I'm inscribed in the book of life, then Yeshua will tie his hands and not let him break that seal. Let's take a, let's take a look at the word books, Okay. It's Biblion, where we get the word Bible, a bunch of books tied together in a manuscript. It, it's defined as a small book, a scroll, a written document. Okay, we, we understand this. It's pretty straightforward. However, check this out. The, the word is also used for a bill of divorcement. Yikes. Yikes. Meaning a total separation. Now, my question is, if... if if, if, if it's a bill of divorcement, is God, is God divorcing us? If he's divorcing us, like some people say to me, well, God divorced Israel. 
Um, I'm sorry, you, you absolute buffoon. No, in Jeremiah, God did not divorce Israel. Israel divorced God. And God loves Israel so much that if they want to divorce him, he will accept their writ of divorce. He will accept their get. But if they want to come back, open arms. You can't stop your wife or your husband from leaving you. I don't care who you think you're married to. God will never leave nor forsake. God hates divorce, period. God divorces no one. We choose to be divorced from God. We choose to reject his redemption. We choose to reject the blood of Messiah. We choose to do it our own way. Let's take a look at Revelation 3, 5. He's talking to the church here at Sardis. I just want to give you one example. The church at Sardis, their problem was they were going through the motions. There's many people who go to church, who sing songs, they even go to Bible study. They might even go on a mission, and they might go through the motions. Their heart's not in it. The motivation is not right. And this was this church at Sardis. They had a lifeless profession. Oh, they professed. They even knew the word of God. But dead works. That was his rebuke to them. But, and I say but, there was a small remnant. There's always a remnant. There was a small remnant of true believers who were consistently obedient and demonstrated courageous faith. Hallelujah. It's to them, he writes, he who wins the victory will be like them, like them, the remnant. Be dressed in white clothing. I will not blot his name out of the book of life. I will not blot his name out of the book of life. I know a lot of people say, can you lose your salvation? Here's my question. Are you saved? Let's start there. Are you saved? If you're saved and the Lord says he'll never leave you and he'll forsake you, how do you explain that? Rabbi, I'm, I'm, you're, afraid, you're afraid. I understand. God's scary. A lot of times I used to think he can kick me to the curb. In fact, I say all the time, if God sat me down and said you didn't make it, I wouldn't argue. But then again, I would have no security. I mean, if my kid said, well, I think my dad loves me, but I don't really know, that would really hurt my heart. I would, to me, I would be the failure of all failures. If my kids did not know, if Bernadette did not know, I might show it in a funny way. I might act a little crazy because I'm not normal. But the bottom line is they know. They know. And so what I'm saying here is it says, in fact, I will acknowledge him. Not only will I not blot their name out. Listen to this, guys. I will acknowledge him. I'm going to speak your name up individually, not as a group. I'm going to talk about you. Yeshua is, this is Yeshua writing these letters. I'm going to talk about you before my father. What? Hey, Dad. You get a little, it's, like, it's like, you know, some president of a company. And, and, you know, God's the president of the company, and Yeshua is the chief operating officer. And he brings your name up as a great worker. Like, hey, Prez, you get a, you get a look at this guy? You know this guy? Oh, yeah, I know. He's unbelievable. He's unbelievable. What? <laughs> He's saying if you're consistently obedient and you demonstrate courageous faith, he's going to talk you up before my father and the angelic host that's ministering to him. I know, maybe that doesn't, you've read that a thousand times, that doesn't do anything for you. I'm going to have to slap you or throw cold water on you or something. Are you kidding me? Yeshua says he's going to talk you up before the father and the angelic host? Remember Daniel? Remember when he prayed? And Gabriel, the, the quintessential messenger angel for Israel, shows up instantly and says, oh yeah, we know you. Oh, we know you very well. In fact, when your name came up, when your prayers rose as incense before God, he said, Gabriel, go. Okay, so they are promised that their names will not be blotted out of the book of life. I'm just reading scriptures. I see it. Here the Lord is giving us a promise, not a warning. In Revelation 3, 5, it's a promise, not a warning. 
that consistent obedience and courageous faith testify to the fact that one is legitimately born again and they are secure. It testifies. It's the evidence. Now, I said consistently obedient. I didn't say 100% obedient. And courageous faith, you know what courage is? It's when you're shaking in your boots and you still mount your horse. Even tough guys get afraid. They don't always tell you, but they do. Man, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. That's really good stuff. You know, nobody's going to teach you. I'm, I'm nuts, right? I take the book of Revelation. I make it encouraging. For the believer, it is. For the believer, it is. Nobody wants to read it. First of all, we, I told you, we bought into the lie from the devil that we can't understand it. Then we bought into, oh, it's so scary. I don't want to read it. I mean, the boogeyman's not going to get you. There's no boogeyman for you. Now, let's take a look at Revelation 22:19 at the end. It's a little different story. It says, and if anyone takes anything away from the words in the book, and some people think it just means the book of Revelation, the revelation of God, if you take away from it, if you say, well, it's not going to be so bad, you might, no, no. If anyone takes away from the, from the words of this book, or the words of the whole Bible, but it's mainly of this prophecy, it's talking in context of the prophecy of the revelation that Yeshua gave to his angel to give to John, to give to us. God will take away his share in the tree of life and the holy city as described in this book. Now, this is not so great. This is not so great. It, it reads the tree of life, which means depicting those who have eternal life. If you're eating from the tree of life, it's symbolic that you have eternal life. Okay? Eternal life. That's what the tree of life is all about. I'll get into it in a little bit. Now, let me show you something. Let's look at the next slide. I put this up here because when I first got saved, I first got saved, I, I didn't know what to do, so I read the Bible. I thought I was the only Jew. I've told this many times that was saved. Because I, and I thought I was like one of the few Christians. I didn't know Christians. I didn't know they really existed. I didn't meet any. So... I just met like one guy, basically, that I thought was a legit Christian, this chiropractor, that kind of tried to talk to me and help me a lot. But when I first came home, I, I turned on the TV, and I would watch a couple of guys on TV. One was John Hagee. I think one was Fred Price. I forget who the other one was. They were the, the guys on the TV at that point in the late 80s. And I remember them saying over and over again, the King James Version Bible is the only legitimate translation of a Bible out there. Has anybody ever heard that? Okay, I think primitive Baptists say that too. And their thinking is primitive. Now, why did I listen? I knew nothing. The same reason why you listen when you hear something. Same reason why you listen about the rapture or anything else. Because you just heard it so much that you just didn't study. So you just, well, they must know what they're doing. I'm, I'm not even like, I'm like, you know, I'm not even, am I a legitimate believer? I don't even know. But these guys, I mean, they're on TV. They got this audience. They, you ever see them walk around? They got the Bible open. I'm like, Wow. I mean, they're just they're flipping through it. They know this thing. So i got to believe them. The King James Version is, is ridiculous. Not only is it full of mistakes, but it says Jesus resurrected on Easter. Seriously? <laughs> how did that get in there? I'll tell you how it got in there, because I don't know if King James was a believer. I mean, if he was a believer, why did, why did all the separatists run away from England if he was such a believer? English Christianity was whacked in the 15th, 16th, 17th century. Whacked! And then he's going to translate the Bible kind of the way he wants. But let me show you something. Let me just show you something. And I'm not saying the CJB is perfectly, but I could have put up there the ESV. I could have put up there the NLT. Um, the NIV is off, especially in the book of Revelation. I call it the nearly inflammable version. It's almost got the holy fire on it. Almost. 
But look, it says, 2219, just follow me, it says, and if anyone takes anything away from the words in this book of this prophecy, we just read it, God will take away his share in the tree of life and the holy city as described in this book. Now I go to the KJV, the King James Version, it says, and if any man, very close, shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life. Now it almost seems like I can lose my salvation, right? Book to tree, it's totally different. Totally different. The tree of life, it's supposed to be the tree of life, not the book of life, as in the King James. How did the error come? Very simply, let me tell you, and this is how careful you have to be. Erasmus, a man who was a 15th century Dutch theologian, when he was compiling his Greek text, he was forced to translate the last six verses of Revelation from the Latin Vulgate into Greek. So he had to translate it from the Latin into Greek. The tree, the tree, as you're reading in the CJB, became the book because a scribe, well-intentioned, had accidentally replaced the Latin word lingo with the word libro. One letter changed everything. Lingo to libro, and the tree became a book. Not all that glitters is gold. Is it a big deal? Yes. Even when we sung a song, there was a misprint up there, and it said our spirit, when it was God's spirit. So just our, just one word, one letter changes everything. In the New World Translation, in John 1, 1, it says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was a God. One letter changes everything. So if you see I'm a little uptight, or if I get caught up in words, or like, God, that's all just semantics. Rabbi, you're, you're off your rocker. Okay, let's go to the next slide for a sec. I want you to see the difference. Very important. I've got these side by side. Revelation 3, 5 says, He who wins the victory will be like them, dressed in white clothing. I will not blot his name out of the book of life. In fact, I will acknowledge him. Revelation 22, 19 says, If anyone takes anything from the words of this book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life. Okay. Revelation 22, 19 is directed to unbelievers, not to believers, non-believers who rather than change their hearts towards God, they attempt to change God's word to suit themselves. And you have a lot of so-called Christians today leading congregations who are changing God's word to suit themselves. You even have devout Christians that don't even know they're being deceived that have come up with some cockamamie theology and they go through the Bible to find scriptures that support their cockamamie theology. If you do enough spiritual gymnastics, anybody could be the Antichrist. If you mess with numbers enough, my mom could have been the Antichrist. That's not the way to study the Word of God. And I didn't go to a seminary, and I didn't have a mentor. So if you're thinking, well, you were just lucky. You went to that great seminary. No, I didn't. No. What I had is the same Bible you have. I had a concordance because I don't know Hebrew fluently or Greek fluently. So I just did word studies up the wazoo. And I made sure I read in context. And I'm not that smart. I'm not the guy. I know people think I'm really smart. I didn't get the 1600 on the SAT exam. To be perfectly frank with you, in the math, I scored genius level. In, in the English, um, it was like my brain wasn't functioning. When I send out an e-blast, I, I send it to, to Roxanne. I say, just correct the grammar because I don't edit anything. When I speak, I there's no editing. I know that a lot of people out there speak from pulpits and they go over their message and they dot every I. I might change scriptures, but I don't dot I's or cross T's. And if it wasn't for Bernadette, you would think I was, you know, 
had some real mental deficiencies because she corrects things for me because grammatically she's, she's really very good at grammar and writing. Brilliant, actually. So Revelation 22.19 is directed to non-believers or unbelievers who rather than change their hearts towards God, they attempt to change God's word to suit themselves. Such people will not eat from the tree of life. On the other hand, Revelation 3.5 is directed to believers, to you guys, who are secure in their salvation. These are the overcomers. These are the overcomers as stated in the book of Revelation. To each church, they were overcomers. They come over. Sometimes something comes over us. We have a circumstance and it overcomes us. We're called to overcome it. We're called to be overcomers. Okay? Let me show you this word in the New Testament as it's brilliantly put forth in the letter that John wrote, his first letter. 1 John 5, uh, 5 4 through 5, it says this. Because everything which God, which has God as its father, overcomes. So if you're a child of God, you're an overcomer. You've overcome the world. In this world, you have tribulation. Take heart. I overcome. You will overcome. I resurrected. You're connected, right? If he accepts the barley, he accepts the wheat harvest. That's what first fruits is all about. If you're connected to that portion of, of wheat, then you too will be accepted. It's all about acceptance. If you're connected to Yeshua, there's federal heads. There's federal heads. There's Adam and there's Yeshua. He's the second man. If you're connected to him, then you're going to be resurrected too in righteousness. It's just the way it is. You might think, I didn't deserve it. You're right. I don't know how I'm going to pay it back. He's not asking you to. He's asking you to pay it forward. But Rabbi, I so don't deserve it. You're right. No argument. So thank him, praise him, and live your life for him. And this is what victoriously overcomes the world. Well, how, do I, how do I become an overcomer? Trust, faith. It's the same old story. Abraham, was, his righteousness was credited to him based on his faith. Trust, not knowledge. Who does overcome the world if not the person who believes that Yeshua is the Son of God? If you believe that, then clearly you've been born again. Clearly the Torah has been written on your hearts. Clearly you're housed with the Holy Spirit. Clearly. Can anybody that's watching tell me, even though some of the things we're still doing, that they're the same prior to their salvation? What? No. Think about it. I know the enemy, and I know you. You know, you're your worst enemy. You want to beat yourself up all the time. Have at it. I've been, I've been doing it for 25 years. I've done a great job of kicking my own butt. It has not served me. I want to help you. I want to help you. You know, somebody might be an alcoholic and they're speaking. You go, oh, yeah, you're speaking about sobriety, but you are an alcoholic. He's trying to help you. He's trying to help you. I'm just trying to help you when it all comes down. Let's look at this word overcome so we know what we're talking about. Nikao in the Greek. It's First John. It's Greek. To conquer. To carry off the victory. As believers, we hold fast to our faith. Even on to death against the power of our foes. It's more than a belief. It's not a belief system. It's the way we live. It's not belief. It's our life. It's who we are. Now, the tree of life is neat because it shows up at the beginning of the Bible. The tree of life shows up right out of the gate in the book of Genesis. And then it shows up again at the end in the book of Revelation. I, I love it. Genesis 1, 2, everything's perfect. Revelation 21, 22, everything's perfect again. God, res he restores you know, when I'm in a hotel, sometimes I like these shows where they take like a shack and then they do all this work to it and then they show it. And I'm like, what? I mean, these are the experts, right? And I don't even think they're charging labor because you ever see what it cost? You know, they take a shack and they turn it into a Taj Mahal and they go, it was $65,000. You call a contract today, he wants to charge you $65,000 for a kitchen. So they got to be doing it no labor. 
and not ripping anybody off, of course, right? But do you see the transformation? This is what God does. He's in the salvage business. But he doesn't salvage plastic or metal. He salvages souls. This is what God does. And he's going to restore all things at the end. So you got the tree of life. It shows up. What is this tree of life? It's a life-giving tree. It's not hard to figure out, right? A tree of life is a tree that gives life. Now, check this out. I know you know this, but I never get tired of repeating myself when it comes to something like this. It's a life-giving tree, and it was created by God to enhance and sustain the physical life of all humanity. Okay? The tree was right in the middle of the garden. Why? He wanted to be easily accessible. He wanted everybody to be able to get it. It wasn't hidden. It wasn't like they had to talk to some swami or some spiritist to tell us where it is. It was right smack there in plain view. But Adam and Eve, they made a bad decision. Don't be too hard on them because if it was you in there, you would have probably done the same thing. But Adam and Eve made a bad decision and they decided to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil instead of the tree of life. It was then, it was right then and there, very sad, that things began to spiral downwards for all humanity. Why? Because Adam and Eve knew no good and they knew no evil. They only knew God, and they decided to get knowledge. And sadly enough, once they had that knowledge, even though they should be choosing good, they had a tendency to try evil. Let's see what's behind that door. I'll, I'll trade. I'll take the box that Carol's bringing down. I want to see what's in there. And they messed up, and that's where we mess up. Instead of eating from the tree of life, we eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And we think we know better than God. That's what we think. Let me show you in Genesis, and I'll show you in Revelation, and then you can go home. Genesis 3, through 24, it says, I don't know, he said, see, He's, he seems so concerned. The man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. See, God knows good and evil, but he only does good. That's why God is good. Now to prevent his putting out his hand and taking also from the tree of life, eating and living forever, therefore, I don't know, God sent him out. He got him out. He kicked him out of the garden immediately. Once he ate that forbidden fruit, he kicked him out. Immediately, instantaneously, he sent him out of the garden so he couldn't get access to the tree of life. Sounds mean. God's not mean. So he drove the man out, drove him out, forced him out. Didn't suggest to him, forced him out. And he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden the cherubim, the cherubim, with a flaming sword which turned in every direction so there's no way he can get access to God the way to the tree of life. Now you know this, but I'm going to tell you it again. If Adam and Eve were not driven out of the Garden of Eden, and if they ate from the tree of life after they ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, man, including us, would have lived a life of endless agony. You hear me? Of endless agony with no hope of relief that comes from death. Yes, death is a relief prolonging his misery forever. You hear what I'm saying? If they ate from the tree of life, they would have lived sick, Sorrowful, suffering, forever, with no hope of relief, ever, in a sinful state, forever. Wow. So by preventing Adam and Eve access to the tree of life, God was actually protecting them, and all of us after them. If you believe in eternal life, death ain't so bad. So if you're afraid of death, I question your belief in eternal life. Partaking in the fruit of the tree of life after the fall would mean a life filled with sorrow, 
sadness, and sickness forever. But God, and I love that, but God graciously, hear me now, graciously limited man's years. Graciously limited man's years so he wouldn't have to live in an eternal sinful state. By limiting our lifespan, God gives us ample time to come to know him through his son so that we may have an eternal life of abundance as opposed to an eternal life of misery. Man, for those who repent of their sins and accept Yeshua for the forgiveness of their sins, they are granted in the future to partake in the fruit from the tree of life. Hallelujah. Look at what it says in Revelation 22, verse 1 and 2. Next, the angel showed me this is after the great white throne. This is after the millennial reign. This is the eternal state. We're back to Eden, man. Back to Eden. Next, the angel showed me the river of water of life, sparkling like crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Between the main street and the river was the tree of life, producing 12 kinds of fruits, a different kind every month. This is the fruit of the monk club that I want to be a member of. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. What's happening here? Guys, the tree of life reappears. Where is it? It reappears, man. It's been gone. The tree of life has been gone. But it reappears. The tree has 12 kinds of fruit. 12 is always a number for God's perfect government. It depicts God's ceaseless provision for every person. And this government provides, not like ours, to control people, but to bless people. The leaves of the tree for healing of the nations, it's figurative. They won't be sick. People say, so there'll be sickness, then grab a fruit. There is no sickness. It's figurative. It's symbolic. It's a way of saying they will enjoy perfect health forever. Can anybody say hallelujah? I can. I'm tired of being scanned. I'm tired of looking on my plan and go, well, the nephrologist, urologist, uh, uh, the, 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 the uh, surgeon, uh, the cancer screen. I'm tired. 12 hernias. Eight aneurysms, nine aneurysms. I'm tired. Perfect health. Man, hallelujah. Even Jack LaLanne died pulling them boats around the New York Harbor. He's still dead. And if he didn't believe in Yeshua, he's going to stay dead. Look at the next verse, 22-3. No longer will there be any curses. <laughs> what? The whole planet is cursed. Creation is cursed. Your relationship is cursed. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will worship him. No more curse. You know what that means? No more guilt. No more strife. No more struggle for survival. No more sickness. No more sorrow. And no more death. Hallelujah. In actuality, our problem is we have it too good. Yes. And therein lies the problem. We have it too good. We are more prosperous in America now than since the inception of the country. I thank God for trials because trials change our perspective from the temporal to the eternal. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yes, trials are difficult, and yes, we don't like them. But all of a sudden, we pray, huh? And all of a sudden, we need God, huh? And all of a sudden, we start thinking about eternity, huh? Hallelujah. Look at verse 4 of Revelation 22. They will see his face. This is the greatest blessing of all. You sung, I can only imagine. We can't imagine. In the age to come, God will lift up his countenance upon us. We pray for that, but that's going to happen. Guys, I know it's rough. I know it's rough. I know. You've got school, and you've got the future, and you've got relationships, and you've got insecurities, and you've got health problems, and you've got marital problems, and you've got financial problems, and you've got problems up the wazoo. You've got regrets of the past. 
You've got regrets of the past, and some of you are way too young to have regrets, and this is our human condition. But finally, we won't pray the ironic benediction. God will lift up his countenance on us. He'll look upon us 24-7 with favor and delight. We'll have God smile over us 24-7, never again to feel insecure or unworthy. Never will we have to deal with meeting people and then walking away and going, what do they think about us? Maybe I shouldn't have said that. Maybe I should have said, what are they thinking about me? What are they thinking about me? Nobody likes me. I'm tired. Why do you think I'm so nuts? Because I, I, I just don't want to care what you think. I, I want to piss you off. I want to scare you away. Leave me alone because you're only going to leave anyway. Everybody does, right? So it's my self-fulfilling prophecy. I push you away because I've experienced so much betrayal and so much departure that let me, let me, let me help you out. Why should I wait 10 years for you to leave me? Leave me now. It's terrible to live like that. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You all do. You all do. God will lift up his countenance on us. It's going to be bliss. It's going to be euphoria. It's going to be a paradiso. But you know what? I got to give you some bad news. There is something missing. And it's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Chapters 2 and 3 in the book of Revelation are these letters I told you about. I'm not going to get into them too much. They have a pattern. The royal author is Yeshua himself. It's him. And he starts with saying, I know. Yeshua knows all. He knows all. Nothing can be hidden from him. And he gives a diagnosis of the church's condition, both positive and negative. Excuse me a sec. He also gives comfort and commands. Comfort and commands flow from his diagnosis. Okay? There is comfort in the positive, but there are some things that need to be fixed. Make no mistake, we're loved, and I'm telling you all this great news, but there are some things that we probably need to fix, okay? I'm not saying you've got to fix them at the moment, but they need to be fixed, right? And then he gives a blessing. A blessing is promised to all the overcomers. And I want you to have a look-see before I split. I want you to just see these blessings. It's a short blessing, a one-line blessing to each of these congregations for the overcomer, okay? Look at Revelation 2.7. I'm going to give you seven blessings again. How do you find so many blessings in the book of Revelation? I read it. I see it. Revelation 2.7. Those who have ears, let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the Messianic communities, the church. It doesn't matter. I'm not going to get into semantics over that. It's the CJB. I get it. To him winning the victory, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in God's gone Eden. In the Garden of Eden, I told you it's back. They will eat from the tree of life. These overcomers will enter into eternal life in its fullness and experience nothing but blessing, life, life, and more life. Finally, we could say, to life, to life, l'chaim, hallelujah. Revelation 2.11 says, those who have ears, let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the Messianic community. He who wins the victory will not be hurt by the second death, okay? Because they prove the reality of their faith by choosing to go to heaven with a good conscience, rather than staying on earth with a bad one, they don't experience the second death, hallelujah. Revelation 2.17 those who have ears, let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the Messianic communities. To him winning the victory, I'll give some of the hidden manna. Ooh, ooh. I will also give him a white stone. Most people read this and go, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm done. On which is written a new name that nobody knows except the one receiving it. Okay, listen up. The manna speaks, all it speaks about is sweet, intimate communion with Messiah. It doesn't actually mean there's going to be a a banana stand, and you're going to go there, and give me a piece, it's, it's, it's figurative, okay? The white stone, that's legit. In this time, in the first century, it was a token of an acquittal in a legal case. So if you were acquitted of all your charges, you got a white stone. 
It was also a symbol of victory in athletic contest. You win the prize. But it was also a, a recognition and an expression of welcome by a host to a banquet. You're the triple crown winner, man. You've been acquitted of all your charges. You've won. I've kept the faith. I've kept the faith. You've won. And Yeshua is going to invite you to dine with him. Crazy, man. And a new name. What's that all about, Rabbi? A new name represents acceptance of God and the title to glory. What? Let me read that again. The title to glory. Hallelujah. Next blessing. Revelation 2.26, to him who wins the victory and does what I want, does what I want, my agenda has to decrease so his can increase. Until the goal is reached, I will give him authority over the nations. Check this out. They will be given authority over the nations, which is the promise to rule and reign with Messiah in the Elenal kingdom. Finally, man, you're going to feel like the royal priesthood. I know you don't right now. No matter how many sermons I can give, you don't feel like a royal priesthood. You feel like a schlub, a schlep right? But finally, man, the broken down is going to feel broken through. Hallelujah. Look at the next promise. Three, five, we went over it. He who wins the victory will be like them, be dressed in white clothing. I will not blot his name out of the book of life. In fact, I'll acknowledge him individually before my father and before his angels. Amazing. The white garments, of course, are symbolic of consistent obedience and courageous faith. Messiah himself will confess their names before the Father. We went over that, so let's move on to the next. Two left. Revelation 3.12. I will make him who wins the victory a pillar in the temple of my God. In the temple of my God, as Yeshua is speaking. And he will never leave it. Also, I will write on him the name of my God and the name of my God's city. The new Yerushalayim coming down out of heaven from my God. And my own new name. Hallelujah. Crazy stuff, man. They'll be made a permanent, you will be a permanent pillar in the house of God, which carries the thought of strength, honor, and permanency. You will be secure. You will never leave God's presence, ever. You will be God's and God's alone for all time. GP, are you with me? God's property forever and ever and ever. Last blessing, 321. Even to that miserable church at Laodicea, it says, I will let him who wins the victory sit with me on my throne, begging them to repent. I stand at the door and knock. It's not evangelism. It's not evangelism. That's a bad interpretation. You're using that as application. He is not knocking on the heart of the lost. He's knocking on the heart of the church. And he says, if you would just repent, he says, get some ISEV. You know what they made? There was a, there was a medical clinic in Laodicea. Guess what they made? ISEV. He was reaching them where they were. He said, if you just repent, if you swallow your pride, just as I myself have won the victory and sit down with my father, so will you. It's crazy. He's saying they will sit with Yeshua on his throne as one being honored. They will even get to dine with him. Dine with him. You know how sometimes you go, man, I would love to dine with that celeb. I'd love to dine with that athlete. I'd love to. I, I get it. You know, or a hero you have. You get to dine with Yeshua, pal. In other words, those who follow Yeshua in humility, listen to me, because some of you are doing this, in humility, in rejection, and in suffering. I repeat, those who follow Yeshua in humility, rejection, and suffering will also follow him in glory. Hallelujah. In the promised eternal state, the curse will be no more, access to the tree of life will be reinstated, and darkness will be forever banished. It's heaven on earth. Now it's been a great praise party, yes, but I would be delinquent in my responsibilities as a teacher of the word of God if I didn't warn you guys of something. Matthew 10, 21, 22, almost home, hang with me. A brother will betray his brother to death, and a father his child. Children will turn against their parents and have them put to death. That's heavy, man, in the last days. Everyone will hate you because of me, 
But that's hard to deal with. But there's, there's a but. Whoever holds out to the end will be preserved from harm. It's not the way you're saved. It's the way you prove that you're saved. Perseverance is the mark. It's the mark of salvation. Now hear me. Yeshua says, we will be hated. I don't know when this is going to happen, but it's going to happen. Right now, America used to be totally pro-Christianity. Okay? At this point, it's anti. Make no mistake. Yeshua says we will be hated by all because of our love for Messiah. Yeshua says family members, yes, it could be your wife. Family members will serve as informants against us. To save their skin, they will give you up. A great wave of anti-Christian sentiment will sweep the whole entire world, and it will take courage to remain true to the Lord. But, I know what you're thinking. I'm going to leave you on a good note. But we have the guarantee from Yeshua himself that if we are his, we will be able to endure. Why? Why will we be able to endure? Because the Lord is able. If you've traveled in any theological circles, which I haven't, but you might have heard the word doxology. There's nothing wrong with it. It's, it's, it's an ecclesiastical term. And doxology is usually a prayer. There's a couple of them in the Bible. It's usually a prayer or a song, but doxology comes from two words in the Greek, doxis and logos. And it just means words of glory. So if I said, what's your doxology? Tell me your words of glory about God. Well, there's a beautiful one. This is the way I want to end. It's in Jude 24. Ask, don't ask me what chapter, because that's going to prove you don't read the Bible. Jude 24, there's only one chapter. Now, this is how I want to end this thing, okay? To the one who can keep you from falling. To the one, so, to the one who can keep you from falling and set you without defect. Now, I, I need you to see this. This is, this is unbelievable. This is the crescendo for today. And full of joy in the presence of his Shekhinah, to God alone, our Deliverer, through Yeshua the Messiah, our Lord be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Let me tell you what he's saying, okay? I don't want you to miss this. This is a doxology of great joy, as Jude is ascribing all glory and majesty and dominion and authority to God, reminding believers, he's reminding you and I of what God is doing for us as we await Messiah's return. Just as false teachers are kept for judgment, as Jude speaks, God has infinite power to keep from falling all those who have put their faith in him. It's your faith in his faithfulness. Do you hear what I'm saying? He's not saying, oh, I hope you have faith. He's saying, do you trust me to be able to keep you? A little child doesn't have faith that they're going to make it. They have faith in their parent that their parent's going to be there. I can tell you that my kids have total faith that Bernadette will never leave them. And if there's any way she could help them, she will. And if she had to give their life for them, her head would be on the chopping block. And they know that. So it's not God hoping that I'm faithful. It's my faith in his faithfulness. Hear me now. Hear me. He is able to save and he is able to keep. Not just salvation, but to keep you. But the promise doesn't stop there. Not just able to save you, which you are, and to keep you. The promise doesn't stop there. Listen, guys, he is able to make us stand faultless. He is able to make us stand faultless in God's presence. So when you're in God's presence, you won't have any shame or guilt to deal with. This is unbelievable. 
to think about standing before God and he's not going to bring up that website you looked at or that thought you had or the way you treated so-and-so? No, no, because how could you be exceedingly joyful? He is able to make us stand faultless in God's presence. It's unbelievable to me, and I hope it's just as unbelievable to you to think about that when we think about who we were, dead, dead in our sins and trespasses, and we think about what we are, poor, weak, failing servants. And to think that one day, he who is dead in his sins, and he who is weak and poor and failing, will one day stand absolutely faultless in the throne room of the universe before Almighty God and rejoicing with exceedingly joy. All I could say is, hallelujah, a thousand times over. Let's stand together. Let me show you a revelation you've never seen before. Yeah. And it's not like I made anything up, and it's not like I didn't use scriptures from Revelation. Man, that's good stuff. Man, that's unbelievably encouraging to me. Just unbelievably encouraging. I would highly recommend you read this and see this again. I know right now you're encouraged, but there's no way your little pea brain could take in more than 10% of it. Listen, it's just the way science is. You'd be out of your mind to sit and watch YouTube videos of nonsense when you could be incredibly encouraged by what's going on these last days. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. In the name of the Prince of all peace, Yeshua. I love you guys so much. Shabbat shalom. Keep the faith.